At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Thanks for tuning into our series, The Follower's Trail Guide, Navigating the Path of Jesus, where we're asking the question, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? As we walk through Jesus' farewell discourse to his followers in the book of John, we'll learn to follow in the steps of Christ as he marks out the way of discipleship for us. You know, this morning we are going to begin our time together by doing something we don't often do. We are going to go on a journey, and that journey is going to take us uh, in, a, uh, in a little time machine. You guys ready? Okay. We're going to learn a few things as we jump in our time machine because we're going to go back into the 1980s and the 1990s. We're going to learn about two popular television shows, one called Cheers, the other called Friends. So I want to just kind of ask by show of hands, how many of you are familiar with the show Cheers? All right. That's a lot of you. That's good. And Friends. All right. Well, here's how popular they were in fact. Uh, the, both series finales were the, in the top five finales in the history of television. Cheers is the second all-time among viewers for its finale, 84 million viewers in 1993, while Friends sits in fourth place with 65.9 million viewers. And so when we consider the amount of people that engage with those particular shows, it might be helpful for us to see what we might be able to learn from those. So let me take us back there for just a moment. Cheers took place in a Boston pub in the 1980s. It was owned by a former big league pitcher, a guy from the uh, Boston Red Sox by the name of Sam Mayday Malone, and he served up camaraderie and friendship to all who visited. And so what you would find in that particular location were guys like Norm and Cliff and Frazier, and they became household names, not only in the realm of television, but kind of culturally. They were friends of ours in a weird sort of way. I think most of us right now could break into song singing the legendary lyrics of that song because we all want a place where everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came. Now let's fast forward a decade. Friends gave viewers an opportunity to live and enter into the lives of six 20-somethings living in New York City. Now, their relationships and job situations were discussed on that kind of bright orange couch in uh, a place called Central Perk. I don't need to go into any of the details there, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. So looking back, and it's easy to see why these shows resonated with American viewers. Because the fact is we all wanted people like Norm or Chandler in our lives who would make us laugh. Everybody wants that. We all want people like Woody and Phoebe to kind of talk through their careless ways and we can laugh with them about their, their lives. And we all yearn for a place to go where we can be known, where we can be loved, where people always want us around. Friendship, relationships. 
I hope that as even as I'm kind of taking us back there into the 1980s or the 1990s, you're sort of evaluating a little bit about what you're looking for in your friendships. Because as we consider them, it's healthy for us to ask, do I have a healthy view of what a relationship or a friendship actually looks like? Or perhaps my view is skewed. I have a skewed view of what a relationship or a friendship looks like because that's what I formed my relationships upon, watching things on TV or in our context today in movies or on TikTok videos. Is that what our relationships should look like? Are those real friendships that we're watching play out in front of us? Or let's make it a little more personal. Do I have real friendships? You know, today we are looking at a portion of Jesus' farewell discourse. It's what we've been working through over the course of the last few weeks. And what we're going to find is that Jesus himself gives us great wisdom when it comes to relationships. He gives great wisdom on what it means to be and to experience true friendship. So we're going to turn there in just a moment. But first, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, We're so grateful for Jesus. We're so grateful that you gave him the words that are now written in your word that we can read, that we can listen to, that we can enter into the story, that we can sit at the feet of Jesus as he teaches us. But in order to have it matter in our lives, God. We need to humble ourselves. We need to have an open mind and an open heart before you. We have an open-handed posture, not pride-filled and arrogant that we have it all together and we know everything about the Christian life, but that we need you, that we need your Spirit to speak to our hearts today from your Word. So, God, today we ask for eyes to see the truth that's on its pages. We ask for ears to hear this truth clearly. And then once again, for humble hearts. Humble hearts that would be courageous to live out this truth in the week ahead. And we ask this humbly in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, church, today we are continuing our journey called the Follower's Trail Guide, and again, we are examining the words of Jesus as he teaches his closest friends. I think that's important for us to highlight today as we consider the topic or the issue of relationships and friendships. And so as we do, as we dig into Jesus' words today, I think what we're going to find is great clarity on those issues, on what it means to have a true, authentic relationship, a true, authentic friendship. So let's turn to our Bibles. Let's grab those. Let's grab uh, John's Gospel. You're going to find that on page 903 if you are reading along in your ESV. And if you are not, need to look behind the screen, that's fine too. Uh, But we are looking at John's Gospel, uh, chapter 15, actually page 902. I misspoke there. We're looking at verses 12 through 17, a very familiar portion of God's Word. And so let's read it together. Jesus says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. 
Greater love has no one than this, than someone that lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. For you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you then that you should go and bear fruit, and that fruit should abide, so that whenever you ask the Father in my name, he, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Let's stop right there. Jesus has given his followers clear teaching on the foundation of relationship in that particular text. What we just read gives us clear guidance on what true community looks like. So what is true community? Well, you're in a church and I'm a pastor, and this is a Bible, and so you can probably guess where this is going to go. It might seem too simple. It might seem kind of overly religious, a little bit churchy, but the answer remains Jesus himself. Jesus. He is the source of true community. So as we dig into our text today, what we're going to find are two specific ways that Jesus does, in fact, shape our lives in the context of community, that we have a deeper understanding of it and then how to live it out and practice it in our own lives. And the first way is that he wants us to think differently about love. Think differently about love, which, as we know, is the foundation of any friendship, is the foundation of any relationship. And Jesus says he's going to change our view because Jesus is actually the one who defines love. Jesus defines the very nature of love. Let's look more closely at those first few verses, picking it up at verse 12. Jesus said, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends, and you are my friends if you do what I command you. Clearly, Jesus' love is different than any kind of love that anyone has ever experienced before or since. There's been nothing like it. Jesus' love is one of a kind love, and Jesus' love is different in a couple of different ways, specifically in practice, and then it is different for us in vision and how we see and live it out. But unlike anyone else, Jesus is immortal. You might say, well, I got that, Pastor. I'm in a church. That's why I'm here. Jesus is immortal. It's important for us to recognize that because Jesus did not have to die. Mortals die. All of us. But Jesus was immortal. And so instead of kind of just submitting to what is is in our future, Jesus did not necessarily have that in his future. Instead, Jesus chose to die to fulfill the will of the Father. And in doing so, what he does is he puts into a new practice. And that practice is a new kind of love, sacrificial love. 
Listen to the words in 1 John. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. That's 1 John chapter 3. You see, Jesus changed the narrative, modeling a love that was selfless, that was others-focused, and that was sacrificial. That was Jesus' life here on earth. But if you're listening close, if you're paying attention to what is in the text, Jesus takes it one step further. And amazingly, Jesus gives his followers, that would be you and me, something that he fulfilled first in himself. He practices sacrificial love. He doesn't just say, hey, you should do this. He doesn't say, that would be a nice idea if you did that for others. What he did is he practiced it himself upon a cross. That's sacrificial love. That's where it starts. It's at the cross. But Jesus' love is also different in, a, in another way, too, in its vision. Here's what I mean. Jesus knew that he would die. He knew that he would sacrificially lay down his life for the sins of humanity. And so he told his disciples in another gospel, in the gospel of Mark, he says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Well, how will he do that? He will do it by giving his life as a ransom for many. You see, throughout his life, Jesus lived, Jesus taught, Jesus modeled a different kind of love than had ever been experienced uh, in our world before. This was expressed in the language that he uses, the language of friends. See, when Jesus uses this term, he's leaning heavily into his humanity in this moment. When you look at the text, he speaks of his friends. You see, when Jesus does that, he declares this bond that he has with the guys he's been journeying with over the last few years. He communicates this closeness that he has like no other. One theologian describes his friendship this way. He says, uh, it means that they no longer need to gaze longingly at God from afar. They don't need to do that anymore. Jesus gave us this intimacy with God so that he is no longer a distant stranger, but instead he is a close friend. That's Jesus. Church, the love of Christ for his friends shines brighter than any human love that has ever been displayed. Period. It shines brighter than anything we've ever seen. And you say, well, why? How do you know that? Because prior to his sacrifice, you and I and all the people that we're reading about here were his enemies. Were his enemies. Listen to the words of Romans. But God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what Jesus did. We were enemies. We were sinners. And that's where Jesus went to the cross With that is his context, the sacrificial act of love on the cross gives us an opportunity to be washed in God's amazing grace. It's an absolutely beautiful picture. Our natural rebellion towards God was overcome by this ultimate act 
of love. It is an ultimate act of sacrificial love. This changed everything. Everything. Now, Jesus asks something of his people then as well. You catch it in the second part of that text. Jesus seeks something. It's a life marked by obedience. He says, you are my friends. You have that new definition that he's given us. And he says, if you do what I command. Hmm. So the love that Jesus has isn't just sort of this abstract idea. It's not just this overwhelming emotion that he feels. It's a lot more than that. It is much deeper than that. It has much more significance than that because what Jesus is talking about is something to live. It's something to experience with practical actions, with the dirty, grimy stuff of life. That's love. And so if you are a friend of Jesus, that's what love looks like. Your life will be marked by sacrifice. Your relationships will be costly. They will cost you something, even when it's not convenient, even when it doesn't benefit you in the least, and yet it benefits someone else. That's what God is looking for from His people, and that we would do that consistently that that would be the marker of our lives. And you see, this is what Jesus did for his friends in practice, and this is what he cast as a vision for you and for me, for all who follow him. So church family, let's make this a little more personal. We read the words of Jesus, but let's make this something that every single believer here today seeks to put into practice in the week ahead. Are you guys with me? We're talking about God's Word, and it's a challenge that is coming directly from the Scriptures. And so I want to challenge you to pick one of the following ways that you are going to practice love for those around you, for your friends this week. Here we go. Number one, you are going to give of your time to invest in the life of someone else. It's going to cost you something. You're going to have to put something else aside to invest in the life of someone else. That's option number one. Investing time. The second one is you are going to give of your money to bless a friend, perhaps in a time of need, perhaps not. You are just going to use your resources that God has blessed you with to be a blessing to someone else. That's number two. The third way is you're going to use your talents or your skills to serve someone and help them do something that they can not do. I want to give you a quick little example. A few weeks ago, I stood on the stage and I told you that I had a little uh, plumbing issue at our house that I tried navigating. Not good at it. Well, I had a friend. He's good at it. He said, hey, I can help with that. And so he came over and helped us out. You know what? It cost him something, but he helped out a friend. So how will you use your talents and skills to serve someone else in something that they might not be able to do? That is number three. Now, number four is a little tricky. 
but I'm going to challenge it with, challenge you guys with it anyway. It is care for someone enough to speak truth into their life. To speak truth in love, obviously. But if you see them walking down a path that is dangerous, you see them walking down a path that is not the godly way, the biblical way, that you would have the courage to love them enough to speak into their life and say, hey, because I love you, I want to help you in this. I see this thing in your life, and I want to just have an opportunity to speak to it right now, not in judgment, but because I care, because I love you. There's a risk involved in all of those, whether time or money or talents or speaking truth. But these are just a few of the ways that we might specifically put love into action for the benefit of someone else. That's what it means to love our friends sacrificially. So, Church, having seen how Jesus gives us this model of sacrificial love, he defines what love is. Let's consider then how we might be able to, uh, to follow what Jesus has, has done by molding and shaping our lives because Jesus is the one who redefines our relationships. Jesus is the one who kind of changes things up and he redefines the nature of our relationship. Let's go back to the text, pick it up at verse 15. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I, I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. For you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and that you should bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask, the Father in my name, it may be given to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. You see, Jesus is redefining the way we look at love. And this is a a massive shift. People who were once servants are now called friends. That is more than a title change. That is more than just a throwaway phrase because what happens here is two realities come out of that term that is changing. You have freedom and you have responsibility when you move from servant to friend. Here's what it means. First, freedom comes through the gracious offer of salvation that is extended through Jesus. It's an offer Or Jesus removes the barrier separating sinful people from a holy God. Jesus is the only one who can do that. It's an offer that comes from the Lord himself as he gives us the opportunity to respond because of his sacrificial death on a cross. And so the question that every person here, every single person must wrestle with, have we accepted that offer? Jesus is extending this offer of love to you to move from servant to friend. Are you going to receive that offer? The offer is one of dying to self. Another way to put that would be repentance. It's an offer of surrendering to Jesus. That is belief. 
The scripture speaks of repentance and belief as that's the way we come to know Jesus as our Savior. And so this offer is one that will set you free. It will set you free from the bondage of sin and of death. It's an offer that is given freely and yet it costs so much. It's an offer that is given to you if you accept it as a friend of God. Have you accepted that offer? It's God's love and grace for you. Have you accepted it? Have you received it? Have you moved from servant to friend? You know, on a personal level, throughout our lives, we, we seek, we pursue, we invest in different kinds of friendships, don't we? It seems like it happens at our youngest age. I still remember the people that I went to kindergarten with. I bet many of you are the same way. You can still pop off some of those names of the people that you went to, went to school with at your youngest age. We invest in people our entire lives. We seek to build friendships and relationships with people. And yet, if you are doing any reading in kind of the professional space, it's fascinating to me that often these friendships are built on our peers. We don't often have friends that are outside of our peer group. Oftentimes, they're coworkers, equals. Here's what I found interesting. In doing research for the sermon, I found out that Forbes magazine would say that there are four reasons that you actually should not be friends with people at your workplace, specifically not your boss. Do not be friends with your boss. Here's why. Four reasons. One, it blurs the lines, blurs those work lines. You may share too much and it will ultimately hurt your career. That is number two. The third reason Forbes magazine says is your boss may share information that will not be productive. And then four, if you have a friendship with your boss, it may make your coworkers feel excluded. Now, this is what it says about friendships in the workplace. This is not true in the family of God. It's not true. Jesus set forward an, an entire vision of friendship by inviting sinners to himself, the perfect man and sinful people. He broke down any kind of barrier. You see, Jesus is the one who redeems men, women, and children. And let's be clear, we are not his peer. We are not his equal. And yet, He invites us by a gracious invitation. And what we experience when we come is freedom. Now, church, the next shift that Jesus makes in all human relationships comes from His great mercy towards us. Let's look again at verse 16. It says, You did not choose Me, but I, I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go. You should go. And bear fruit. This means that the sovereign God has called you into a relationship with Him through His sacrificial work on a cross, and He's done that for a purpose. Your union with Christ 
is first a source of friendship for you, but it is also a source of power for you that you and I would be able to do and practice what God seeks from us, His people. Now, this is why I often stand on the stage behind this podium and tell you that you cannot earn your salvation. You can't do it. What we find here is Jesus saying, if I know you as my friends, you should follow in obedience. You should do what I command. The friendship comes first. The response comes second. It is a response of gratitude to our God and for His amazing grace on our behalf. That's why we respond. It's out of a love of what God has done for us, that we would do what He seeks. And so what is it that He seeks? What is our responsibility? Well, I'm going to take us back to what we looked at last week, the term bear fruit. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father, well, He is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit is taken away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. (laughs) Jesus wants fruit in our lives. See, what Jesus is referring to in this context aligns with the overarching theme of what's going on in this entire section of his message of the farewell discourse. Jesus is driving home this message, and it is one of obedience. Practically speaking, this is God calling you and I to be submissive to His will, that you and I would then bear fruit. We bear fruit. But then Jesus adds another layer to it. He says, whatever you're doing, I want you to bathe in prayer. I want you to cover it all in prayer. Listen to the words. He says, and that fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the Father in my name, he may give it to you. That is not a self-serving, self-seeking thing. This is where God's people pray in accordance with the will of God. As I am walking out my faith in real ways, what this is is this me, is me submitting to the will of God and walking in faithfulness and him bearing obedience and bearing fruit through my obedience. Seems pretty basic seems pretty easy in concept, doesn't it? And yet it only happens when we walk in faithfulness. Only when we abide in the love of God that we have to love one another. Only when believers live humble, faithful, obedient lives will we bear fruit that brings our God honor and glory. And only when believers love each other sacrificially as Jesus first loved us will the watching world truly see Jesus in your life and in mine. Church, this is why Jesus stated so clearly the importance of practicing sacrificial, selfless love. We read it earlier in our series, John 13. It says, a new commandment I give to you, that you would love one another. How? Even as I have loved you, that you may also love one another. By this, by what? By the love that we show each other, 
then all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see, church, the friendship believers have with Jesus is based on a new life that he has created within us. It's a friendship that has its origin in Christ and it finds its strength in Christ. So as we close, let me ask you a couple of questions. Does Jesus have a friend in you? Are you walking in obedience today? Are you trusting in Jesus the vine to bear fruit in your life? Church family, I hope you are. Because Jesus changes the nature of relationships completely. And he empowers you and I to live it out. You see, walking in the way of love looks different than many of us might have imagined. But the fruit that we bear can be far more than we can even comprehend. So let's love our God and love others well. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.